Dress, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary. And April Callahan. So, dress listeners, welcome to part two of our two-part episode on the rose in fashion with Professor Amy Dillahay of the London College of Fashion. And if you haven't already tuned in to this past Tuesday's episode, please do so because we do discuss some early history of the rose, its symbolism, and also its associations with love, romance, and sensuality. And today, Amy returns to discuss fashion's long-term love affair with the rose, specific designers who have gravitated to it in their work, and also some of the objects which will be included in the upcoming exhibition, Ravishing the Rose in Fashion, which she co-curated with Colleen Hill for the museum at FIT in New York. So without further ado, Amy, welcome back. Amy, it of course goes without saying that countless, countless, countless fashion designers have had this entire love affair, love affairs, plural, with the rose. Can you tell us a little bit about some of your favorite examples, whether they be in the book or garments, which we can expect to see in the exhibition? Of course, we have already mentioned the rose's significance to Paul Paré, but, you know, it was an emblem of his couture house. It was part of the logo. But many, many of his contemporaries during the early 20th century also highly favored the rose. One particular designer that I know is a favorite of yours, Lucille. Yeah, and, and going further back, I mean, Worth was, the House of Worth was famed for its use of the most beautiful flower, decorated textiles and the use of artificial flowers. And the Museum of the City of New York has got possibly the most beautiful 19th century rose dress I think I've ever seen with a textile that literally has three-dimensional rose petals with sort of glistening tips, copper-coloured tips coming out of it. Just so beautiful. But if we're going into the 20th century, there are certain designers who particularly made extensive use of the rose in the early 20th century. Lucille, yes, of course. I'm fascinated by Lucille. And you have written a book on Lucille. Yes. (laughs) And then Poirier, I think as we move through the 20th century, we get more abstract depictions of roses, whereas in the 19th century, they're mostly naturalistic. So roses become expressive of particular art movements and movements within design. So we get lovely Art Nouveau roses in the late 1890s, 1900s with long sort of trailing stems. Then we get that tightening up of the sort of rounded Art Deco rose that you were talking about, the Erebe rose, which Poirier makes extensive use of. And the museum at FIT, we can't exhibit it because it's so fragile, but has got one of those amazing sorbet dresses with those caviar beaded rounded rose motifs. Amongst my other favorite garments from the FIT collection, there's the most wonderful Vionnet dress from 1930 that's got, it's just a cream ingenue sort of dress, but it's got the most beautiful design of pin-tucked roses. Oh. Possibly my all-time favorite dress is Charles James 1937 La Corselette. When I was at the VNA, I had very, very little money to buy 20th century dress because we used to put the money towards historical dress. But the one, one haute couture garment I bought in my nine years there was a canary yellow version of La Corselette. Oh, it's so beautiful. And then when I did my work on um, the Messel family dress collection, Anne was friends with Charles James and Countess of Ross, and she had a cream version that's completely falling to bits. And FIT have got the most wonderful, wonderful version. Um, It's a Victorian revival 
corseted gown that was worn by a debutante and has got a ro an artificial rose bedecked corsage. And that is one of my all time favorite garments. It's like, it's like the roses are just bursting out of her chest almost in, in their placement. They are. And it was going to be um, my cover image until I completely fell in love with Noakai Nonimaya, the Japanese designer's depiction of roses. They're like rose personification at its most militant for the 21st century. <laughs> and they are just extraordinary. But what I wanted um, to say, which is a core part of the thesis, not only of the book, but also of the exhibition, is that while the focus is upon the most um, wonderful elite fashion, which is you know innovative in terms of design, amazing materiality, um, and in terms of leading fashion, a core thesis of the whole project is that almost anyone can feel and look transformed by wearing one or more natural or artificial roses. And in that sense, the project is really quite inclusive because as we've seen, you know, the rose is near universal. Mm -hmm. And even today, if we walk out with a fresh rose in our buttonhole or pinned to a garment, we would feel special, but people would look at us and know it was a special day. And so um, from the outset of the project, I started buying Victorian portrait photographs showing diverse people wearing, holding roses in Victorian portrait studios. So although it became cheaper as the 19th century progressed, having your photograph taken was still a really big deal. And many people chose to be photographed, yeah, either holding or wearing one or more roses. Oh. And we see sort of also a continuation of gesture. So there's the famous... René Le Brun, um, portrait of um, Marie Antoinette with his hand-held pink rose. And then I found the most beautiful carte de visite um, of a Japanese woman wearing a kimono, holding the rose with the exact same gesture. Oh, I love that. And I found pictures of um, African-American women, one woman seated with a whole lap full of roses, which is completely beautiful. Bridal photographs with people with roses, people holding rose baskets. And so in the exhibition, we're also going to show just lots of people who can't wear Charles James or Scaparelli or Lucille, but they can wear fresh or artificial rose. And also, actually, when you asked me, April, about my favourite objects, the first gallery in the exhibition is devoted to an area that FIT hasn't actually exhibited a great deal before, but has the most amazing collection of, which is hats. Yes. So on my first visit, I had spent the most happy two or three days going through the cupboards because, of course, nothing's classified by roses. So you can't look up rose in a way that you might look up a designer or a date or a type of material. And I went through all your cupboards of hats. <laughs> I've all been um, laid out now in amazing new storage. And we've got an incredible now, um, a garden of hats. So as people enter the exhibition, they're going to walk into a garden of hats. Oh, I can't wait. You know, hats with decorated with roses in the form of roses, like in the form of sort of clustered roses. And you've got the most amazing um, Mr. John hat called Primavera, which is like rose, like a form of rose um, petals with other flowers on. And you've got that amazing um, surreal red shoe, which is like the form of a rose. And the stiletto heel is this green stem with prickles coming off it by Busso. So... As a result of COVID, I think we're going to not be able to have a lot of the loans that we'd hope to have. But what it does mean is that we're going to bring out all sorts of objects from FIT's collection, you know, which might not have otherwise been exhibited. 
So there'll be some, you know, better known examples like the course select dress. Mm-hmm. But we're also going to exhibit garments like by the designer Irene and other designers that might not be quite so well known, but who also express an incredible love of roses in their work. Yeah. And I'd like to maybe fast forward from Irene to another designer that almost everyone knows who returned again and again and again to the rose in his collections, but in a very particular manner. Amy, how does the rose fit into Lee McQueen of Alexander McQueen's broader lexicon of what he was doing? Well, in the project, I awarded Dior and Dries van Noten as sort of fashion's floriculturists and Alexander McQueen as fashion's rosarian. McQueen was completely fascinated by the rose and all the duality and complexities that we started to discuss. He was interested in the rose in the context of degradation and death, its ephemerality, as seen in sort of vanitas paintings, where it's there as a sort of symbol of the fleeting beauty and fragility of life. He... His expression of roses became more joyful moving into the 21st century. I'm thinking particularly of the Sarabande collection, where he sent models down the catwalk in dresses that were like in the form of a cage stuffed full of hydrangeas and roses. Yeah, and dresses just inspired by the look, the feel, the form of roses. And then when his patron and really close friend, Isabella Blow, died, he made the most romantic gesture of having a rose named after her and entwining the names together by calling it Alexander's Izzy. Um, And it's a lovely sort of apricot and pink rose. And, you know, he loved his garden in his house in Sussex. And then tragically, when he took his own life, you know, all of the images that he made famous of the skull and roses became, you know, all too prescient. Mm -hmm. Sarah Burton has obviously continued in her own very distinctive and talented way to pay homage to many of Lee's original designs, but also... The rose featured prominently in her own life. And she talks, when I'd said earlier about there was this um, festival in ancient Rome called Rosalia, ever since that date, rose growing nations have held rose festivals, like in Pasadena and America, where the roses are grown. And throughout England as well, there were all sorts of there were annual festivals where girls dressed up as roses. And she remembers that as part of her childhood growing up in the north of England. Mm. So there's a bit of nostalgia to it as well. Yeah, and so has designed the most extraordinary dresses, again, which take on the look, the feel of roses. One of the more contemporary exhibits in the exhibition is the amazing hard-shelled knuckle duster clutch bag she designed, which has got a sort of the form of a knuckle duster that you hold with these great big blood red roses on top. And then the hard shell of this bag has got a sort of design of red lace um, depicting roses on it. Because... It's important that not only is it the design and materials of dress, but it's also the fastenings and the trimmings of dress, you know, lace buttons, fans, handkerchiefs, all sorts of things that are also rose decorated. Mm-hmm. And and Come to Garçon, correct me if I'm wrong, is another brand which has embraced the rose again and again. And you specifically note that their spring-summer 2015 collection, which was entitled Roses in Blood. Would you tell us a little bit about that as well? The Roses in Blood collection... Um, it's quite a dark collection, even for Comme de Garçon. And again, there are these garments that are just these huge forms that have, I suppose, the look and the texture of roses rather than particularly the shape. But what was interesting is that we can date a love of roses right back to Comme de Garçon's sort of early collections um, in the 1980s. But what was radical then was that rather than having naturalistic depictions of roses, 
she and also um, Galliano at a similar time created these garments that were sort of like clustered fabrics which suggested roses. And if modernity is all about sort of truth to materials and not adding extraneous decoration, Comte de Gasson made these amazing garments that suggested roses by this skillful manipulation of the fabric, which is something that Sarah Burton's done with huge like whirls of fabric by twisting it and manipulating it. You know, the skills in her atelier are incredible, making these uh, extraordinary like dresses that are the look and the form of roses. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess we could um, think of that as um, postmodern, as the opposite of modern. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's taking it to the next stage. Yeah. And and speaking of taking things to the next stage, near the end of your book, Amy, uh, you write not necessarily about the use of the rose as a motif, but actually how the plants themselves are starting to kind of worm their way into fashion. This was most intriguing before we wrap up for the day because I don't want to take up too, too much more of your time. Can you tell us about what one of your students at London College of Fashion is up to? Ashley Chambers, what what is this project that she's working on? She's actually one of my students. She's one of the students that's associated with the Centre for Sustainable Fashion at London College of Fashion. Okay. She's not the first person to develop a yarn that is made from the waste pulp of roses because every year you have to clear the roses away in when you're growing them to make sure there's no risk of disease. So other makers have been using the debris of the rose um, wood to make yarn. But what was distinctive about what Ashley did was it was a caring project, interestingly, actually for Alexander McQueen. And what she did was she managed to ensure a local supply chain from British rose um, growers to the spun yarn. So it became even more environmentally friendly. Oh, wow. And developed this gorgeous glistening yarn and I explored this in the context of sustainable fashion, but also I likened the modern flower industry of cultivated roses to fast fashion industry in which, you know, workers are incredibly exploited and how diversity is being lost in favour of sort of uniformity and, you know, these long roses that we buy in supermarkets with these long straight stems that all the consumers want against, you know, the diversity of the huge range of all different roses that grow that we could enjoy. And so, you know, both industries share many of the same, you know, bad practices. But interestingly, as in fashion, in the way that we can buy um, fair traded fashion, we can also now buy fair traded roses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Colleen wrote her chapter on the 18th century and there are also other incredible contributions. I was completely honoured and over the moon that um, Nick Knight agreed to have an in-conversation with me on our shared love of roses. There's also a chapter on perfume um, by Mari McKenzie, who's based at Glasgow School of Art, with whom my first ever discussion about this exhibition took place. Jonathan Fires, who's well known at FIT um, because he's contributed to various projects, is the most wonderful writer and he's written all about the cultural context of the rose Mm -hmm. and an unusual addition within fashion catalogues is there's a chapter on fine jewellery by the jewellery expert and well-known antiques roadshow expert Geoffrey Munn on fine jewellery and because of course the rose is so symbolic um, and redolent with meaning within fine jewellery and because I think we tend to forget in fashion exhibitions that for all the dresses that are adorned in roses, there are a lot of plain dresses because they're going to be worn with the most exquisite jewellery. And because in fashion galleries, quite often we can't exhibit the fine jewellery, 
we exclude it not only from the exhibition but also from the discussion mm-hmm. and so I was really delighted that um Jeffrey Munn wrote a chapter with his vast vast knowledge which looked at the role of the rose in fine jewellery so you know there's some wonderful contributions from other writers too yeah and, and that the fine jewellery chapter I mean to to describe it as eye candy is underwhelming the <laughs> exquisite beauty of some of these pieces, some of which are very old as well. Absolutely. And it is based on, you know, a whole career of research and contacts. And, you know, when you write a book for Yale, they make the most beautiful books, but you do all the picture research yourself. So every author's contribution is their text, but also they've identified and sourced all these incredible images, Mm -hmm. which the book is very extensively illustrated. Yes, and you and I went hunting, um, looking for some 18th century imagery of artificial flower making one day. (laughs) You were amazing. You gave us a shortcut straight to good sources in your wonderful archive. Yeah, well, it was so fun. I always love those projects. That's like the absolute favorite part of my job at FIT is like helping other people like you find the exact objects that they're looking for. Oh, I spent a very happy day. I could have spent a very happy month. (laughs) Again, Amy, thank you so much. And please come back and join us anytime. We'd love to hear about your next project, whatever it is that you have up your sleeve. So we hope you'll return to join us again on Dressed. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've been following it for years and I'm delighted to have contributed. Amy, thank you again for joining us on Dress. Such a treat. And listeners, we cannot encourage you enough to grab a copy of this beautiful book, which we will remind you has a slightly different title than the exhibition. It's called The Rose in Fashion Ravishing. It's chock full of so many more fun stories than we discussed on the show. We simply could not get to all of them today, of course. (laughs) April, as you know, the first couple decades of the 20th century are, you know, some of my particular favorite periods of fashion history. And so I really enjoyed the story in Amy's book about how for her spring-summer 1904 collection, Lucille Lady Duff Gordon, she filled her couture house with 3,000 silk roses, which had all been (laughs) delicately scented. So can you just imagine that for a moment? The rose, after all, was one of her favorite motifs for embellishing her garments. And also, Christian Dior was such a personal fan of growing roses that after his death in 1957, a specific species of rose was actually named in his honor. And some of our listeners might remember from our very first episode on season two, which was on Christian Dior, that Dior had this lifelong love affair with flowers that began at a very early age. Yes, and his mother Madeline was a consummate gardener, and she really instilled this love of flowers and gardening into both of her children, both Christian and his sister Catherine, who we might, April, I already told you this, but just have to dedicate (laughs) an entire fashion history mystery or episode to because she was actually the inspiration behind Dior's famous Miss Dior perfume, which combines scents of jasmine and roses. But more than that, Catherine was this incredible woman. She she was a heroic member of the French resistance against Nazi occupation during World War II. And in the aftermath of the war, she worked in the flower industry, even farming roses among many different flowers for the perfume industry at her and Christian's childhood home, Chateau de la Colle Noire. 
Or how about in more contemporary events? Um, Cass, do you remember that incredible dress that Jordan Dunn wore to the 2019 Met Ball? It was one of our favorites. (laughs) It was one of our picks when we talked about that particular event. But uh, the dress was designed by Zach Posen, and her body was entirely encapsulated in these 3D-printed, really deep blood red rose petals. And apparently it took 700 hours to complete the 3D printing, and then another 400 hours on top of that just to even put the dress together after the pieces were printed. Oh, so incredible. And the whole time I was just wondering how she sat in that. Yeah. Or did she? (laughs) (laughs) Did she? Maybe she did it. Maybe they pieced it together. I'm sure we could find that out somewhere. Either way, so, so many designers, artists, and writers have found inspiration in this flower. There's so much more to say, and perhaps summed up quite nicely by William Cowper in 1782 when he wrote, Within the garden's peaceful reign appeared to lovely foes, aspiring to the rank of queen, the lily and the rose. The rose soon reddened into rage and swelling with disdain, appealed to many poets' page to prove her right to reign. And clearly, she still does. So uh, I think that does it for us this week, dress listeners. May you ponder the presence of the rose in your closet next time you get dressed. Please tune in this coming Tuesday for our full-length episode. And Cass, we've been getting quite a lot of listener messages lately. And I feel like I at least am a little bit behind in responding. But please, everyone, please do know that we do read them and we do the best we can to write you back. So just please keep them coming. Um, We've gotten so many really great suggestions from you recently for episode topics that you would like to hear about. And if you'd like to write to us, you can do so at dressed at iheartmedia.com. And you can also DM us, of course, at dressed underscore podcast, which is where we post images for each week's episode. That's on Instagram. You can always follow us on Facebook at Dress Podcast without the underscore. Thank you, as always, to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartMedia that makes the show possible each week. We will catch you on Tuesday. Dress, the History of Fashion, is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.